The issues that we have, I don't think, are psychological per se. They are existential. What am I doing here? What's the point? Where am I going? Is there a point to all of this? Now, I'm, I don't have all the answers for those things. But the journey of transformation for me was, was to figure that out. So from an intellectual point of view and from a, and a, from a feeling point of view as well. Because we can mentally masturbate <laughs> say, over all of these wonderful intellectual theories. But at the end of the day, we've got to be able to live it. And how we show up as leaders, I think, really shows the degree of, of um, integrity that we have with ourselves. And I think that's what the authentic leadership is about. This edition of the Matt Brown Show is proudly brought to you by the Unique Speaker Bureau. The Unique Speaker Bureau is recognized as the best management agency for the Premier League of professional speakers, both here in South Africa and around the world. They strive to build better conferences and match the perfect speaker to your next conference or event. The USB promises you an experience more than just a speaker. Transformation. Real transformation isn't a future event. It's a present day activity. But the irony is that most people choose to stay the same and settle for the status quo and don't challenge themselves to become more than what they currently are. You see, if you don't make a conscious choice to grow yourself every single day, this can have a disastrous impact on your business because your business can only grow to the extent that you do. Our guest today is Caroline Ravenall, who spent the best part of a decade working closely with the infamous Richard Branson, but despite all the trappings of a successful career, she found herself on the day of the launch of Virgin Airlines in South Africa, staring down the abyss of total burnout, and with Richard Branson about to do one of his daredevil entrances. The threat of burnout for entrepreneurs is very real, so I invited Caroline onto the show to talk about her recovery an incredible transformation to today where she is a captivating professional speaker, leadership development facilitator, and human performance specialist who is carving out a powerful reputation for inspiring greatness in others while helping them tap into their infinite human potential. So without further ado, let's get on with the show. And we're live. How's it, guys? Welcome back to the Map Round Show. Today, I have the great privilege of having with me in the studio, Caroline Ravenall. Round of applause, guys. It's a very meager clapping exercise, that. But, um, but yeah, but seriously. <laughs> yeah, um, do it again. Yeah, do it again. Once it again. again, let's go. <laughs> Woo! Yeah, there you go. That's better. There was lots of woos in there as I know, well. I know, yeah, I yeah. know. Rent a crowd. It's yeah, tough. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'll get the best out of them, though. Mm. Don't worry. Okay, you're not paying them enough. That's ah, <laughs> no, they get paid plenty. Thank you very much. <laughs> Don't plant seeds that they can't okay, grow. Okay, sorry. Yeah. Was that, was sure that would be one of those, yeah. <laughs> those guys? Once yeah. you ring the bell, you can't thing. unring it. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so, yeah. So, I guess um, – I always like to say, well, what's the headline story? I mean, obviously, you, you doubled and dabbled with Richard Branson for the better part of a decade. But what is the headline story you want uh, our kind of listeners to know about you? The headline story, well, there's so many things, I think. But I think the headline story, which I think a lot of people can really relate to. Are you hearing me okay on this? Yeah. I think the headline story, which people can really relate to, is that you know I had this incredible career, this high-flying career. I was... Um, I flew around the world in first class. I got paid in pounds. I had a brand new Land Rover Discovery every six months as a company car. I was on the A-list at every single party. And yet I was, I got to this point in this wonderful empire that I was working in where I said, sure, is this really it? 
you know. So I've got everything materially that I could possibly want, yet there's still such an emptiness inside. But I kept pushing through because that's what you do, you know. It's like, you know, when you're in this wonderful position, and I really did have, I, I, I loved what I did and working with Virgin and Branson was an amazing experience. But I kept pushing through, pushing through until the point of, you know, physical collapse, really, where I'd, I'd hit major, made major burnout. Um, and so the story that I share in a lot of the talks is that story of being at a launch event in Cape Town. And I, just, I should have been on the stage kind of fielding questions. Richard was doing one of his daredevil entrances. We had this marquee set up on Camps Bay Beach. So picture this scene. Marquee on Camps Bay Beach, full of all of these incredible dignitaries from the UK and the US who'd come to see the launch of Virgin's second flight into South Africa because I came here to set up the airline in South Africa. And Richard's doing one of his daredevil entrances through the roof of a marquee suspended from a fireman's lift, you know, as only Richard Branson could because he's known for that stuff. And I was supposed to be on the stage, uh, you know, fielding questions and whatever. And I'm busy kind of hitting the deck in the background from weeks of not sleep or months of not sleeping and just pushing through and pushing through. But here's the thing. I was such a bloody control freak that even that pass out was like, was, was, I've got, I've I've got, yeah, because you're surrounded by so many, so, so many people. And it was also this refusal to admit to myself that something was wrong. Um, and everyone around me could see that something was wrong because this chick is not operating on all four cylinders. She's not firing on all four cylinders, but you still delude yourself that I'm going to be okay. You know, and I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay. So that's, I, I suppose that's the main story that I share, but that has, it's not just a, oh, poor me. Look, I recovered from burnout. There's so many me too's out there talking about this whole burnout thing, but burnout's pretty serious. Very. Um, you know, it's not just a, um, it's not just a, Oh, you know, I'm a little bit stressed. You know, we just, people come from home from work. Oh, I'm completely burnt out. But burnout's actually a state of complete exhaustion. Um, and it can kill you. Cardiovascular collapse. Um, suicide. I mean, this is a ridiculous thing. I know it's getting really deep here, but 800,000 people a year commit suicide. I mean, what kind of world are we living in? But that's the state because your body is so depleted. You are so depleted mentally and emotionally everything's kind of lost its sense of purpose and meaning. So when I think back to when I started, I was this young, enthusiastic person who just wanted to do a really good job in this magnificent company that was changing the face of air travel. And this was, was, this was the end point, but it was the real start of another journey for me. Mm. So, and we're going to get into that. Yeah. Um, but it's an interesting one. I mean, I know it's pretty serious right off the bat, but Hey, this is the Matt Brown show. You never know what you're going to get. Um, but yeah. I mean, you know, these kind of things are really real. I mean, my audience, as we were touching on before we went on air, is like, um, they're either high powered executives or they're business owners. And that train is a very fast train. Um, and along with that train comes a whole bunch of shit that you just don't seemingly have enough time to get through. Um, and, in the pursuit of these sorts of demands or trying to deal with the demands and requirements of, <laughs> of these kind of lifestyles, um, it's easy to not pay attention to the warning signs. And, um, and that's what I want to kind of get into with you is because like I, I had the most insane day yesterday where I was like, fi- I found new levels of performance that I, that I haven't found before just because the demands are now getting greater and greater and greater. But in all honesty, I don't actually know what to look out for. You know, I know when I'm not feeling well and I'm like, fuck, have I had too much coffee or is this something else? I don't know. 
walk us through that because I, and I think because that's the springboard into into our subject today, which is going to be a lot about meaning and finding meaning in what you do and kind of stuff like that. So, but walk us through that day. So, or maybe even the days leading up to that. And, and, and if you can focus specifically on when you had that breakdown, what were the signs that you experienced? What do you want to share there? Yeah, I think when you look at burnout, I mean, it's, it's, it happens so gradually. Um, and as does any disease, you know, so I was lucky. I burnt out and I bounced back after a long period of trying to get there. Um, a lot of people don't, you know, so any chronic disease doesn't just start. It has its genesis in, 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 in the way that we are. So I think that one of the things that really hit home for me was that to, to, uh, uh, one of the learning things, and I'll go on to answer the question is that we've got to stop seeing our body as just another way to get our head to a meeting. You know, we're a complete <laughs> biological system instead of this disembodied head, you know, and, and this is it. So it's, you know, we're a complete biological system. So um, when we think about it, the brain, apparently, the conscious mind processes information at something like 40 bits per second. The nervous system is processing at something like 40 million bits per second. All right. So... We're not conscious of what's going on under here. So there's trillions of little processes that are all happening that are driving us in a particular direction, depending on our orientation. And if we happen, happen to have kind of an optimistic view about life and ourselves, actually, we can bounce back fairly, fairly quickly, but a lot of people don't. And I thought I, I was pretty optimistic. I'm pretty confident in, in what I did. But gradually over time, you realize that the demands outweigh your capacity to cope. And I think it starts with um, being really, really hard on yourself. So, I mean, I know from 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 my point of view, I, I constantly beat myself up. I'm not good enough. I'm not, I've got to keep this going. You know, I'd just been, I'd, I'd had this incredible opportunity to come to South Africa to start an airline for Richard Branson. I mean, that was such a big thing. I'd been running around the world in the UK and the US. Um, with Virgin before that, but this was a very high profile role. So the subconscious pressure that we put on ourselves to succeed is huge, particularly when we're in these leadership roles, which is why I work with a lot of leaders today. So we're very unaware of the little stories that we're telling ourselves. Um, I'm not good enough. Um, I'm going to fail. Um, we, we, in psychology, they call it imposter syndrome. Um, which by the way is a very big deal in entrepreneurship space. I have that every single entrepreneur, I think like, I don't care how successful they are, men and women, they all have imposter syndrome. It's well documented by the way. Celebrities have it, famous rock stars, musicians, you name it. Anyone, anyone of who you would never dream has this thing called imposter syndrome has it. It's a real thing. Yeah. Very real thing. So, with that constant background noise, the, the, the nervous system is making changes. So our nervous system is continually learning and adapting because we're trying to find that, 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 that balance. Um, and so then when we find that the demands are taking over, that there's more pressure on us, things happen like we, we, you know, we stop eating properly because that takes effort. Um, or we, we stop exercising or we exercise more vigorously. And the fact is, is when you're hitting burnout and your body is exhausting, the worst thing you can do is actually go to the gym and do kind of like a, an intense workout because your body just can't cope with that. 
So um, it and then little things like all the attempts you make to relax don't seem to work because you just can't switch off. So the nervous system is working then instead of just while we want it to work, it's switched on almost like 24-7. I mean, I remember going – I my big thing was not being able to sleep. So just going to bed at night and if I got one or two hours sleep, I was lucky. So, and then I'm getting up in the morning at five going, well, I've got to go to the gym because I've got to get those endorphins going. I've got to be able to function. And so I'm just finding it's worse and worse and worse. So then the depression starts to set in because you're not, you're, even though you, you're, so you're, so you're grabbing little snacks here and there to try and cope because you're not thinking about eating properly. Your body chemistry starts to change. Um, so this whole thing starts to, starts to kick in. We lose interest in, being around friends. I mean, I would spend my entire weekend sitting at home on my own in the sun because the sun is a great way to kind of reduce cortisol, that stress hormone cortisol. So when your body is firing like this all the time, that cortisol hormone is working uh, overtime. So then you get fat. God, you know, girls, we don't want to get fat. So suddenly it started, nothing fits anymore. So I've got to go to the bloody gym again and like push myself even harder. So all these little things kind of, you know, start to start to happen. Um, and eventually, so then you go to medication. Now, I found myself, I didn't think I was depressed, but I was depressed. Um, and so, and that's one of my big bugbears is, you know, get people put the docs, put you on medication because you're broken, you need fixing. Worst thing. I could never do deal with the antidepressants, but sleeping pills, I loved because I could just kick myself out of it. Then I became addicted to sleeping pills. And an addiction to sleeping pills is harder to cure than an addiction to heroin. Did you know that? <laughs> Nope. <laughs> I mean, and so that's, I mean, that's the same. So, so these little things, these little things gradually, gradually, gradually start to take over. And you think that you're functioning, but you're not. So your nervous system, your fight, flight, freeze, cortisol, adrenaline reaction is kicked in permanently. So you're like a permanent grouch. You're reacting so quickly to everything or you're just slow and zoned out. And so when we take the medication, this is what I thought. I thought, hey, I'm actually functioning properly. But it's like I'm in this dwell most of the time. So this is the thing for leaders today. If we want innovative, high-performing, go-getting businesses, which are coming up with new ideas, how can we do that when we're medicating ourselves to death? Opioids is a big issue here. Huge. It's massive. It's way worse than cocaine and heroin and all those things combined. Yeah. Um, But – on, so I, I get it. It's like all these things and you're not really consciously aware of what's actually happening to you. You just seem to oscillate from pillar to post sort of thing on this train, right? Um, and, and then on the day itself, like walk us through the exact feelings that you, that you experienced in the day that this all came to a head. Um, I, I was in Cape, waking up in Cape Town that morning. I'd taken, I'd taken something like 60 milligrams of still knocks. What is that? For Still not because it's a know? sleeping pill. So well, while you were awake. So <laughs> while I was awake. Going on stage. Because it, so I'd taken, <laughs> but, but no, this was waking up in the hotel room that night before I'd taken something like 60 milligrams of Stillnox because I just Jesus. wasn't sleeping. Yeah. So eventually the drugs don't work um, because you start off with half and then it's like you just – so. I really thought, you know, I've got to get some sleep. This big thing, the pressure on myself, I've got to get some sleep. I can't go do this today without going to get some sleep. So I woke up in this drugged state um, and it's just I just wanted the world to swallow me up. I just wanted the bed to swallow me up. I didn't want to go and face the day. 
So I knew then that something was really, I think it was that point that I knew something was really seriously, seriously wrong. Mm. So, and I, I actually don't remember much of the day. Really? Yeah. I don't remember much of that day. I do remember kicking in when, when, um, at, 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 at the event where um, this marquee had been set up and it was all kind of, for me, it was happening in a dwell. And I'm there greeting all the guests and the people. And a part of me was there greeting them. Another part was just, just not not with it i just really so wasn't with it but every i don't think people really recognize that when i've asked people about it now they say but you were just your usual self your your great self but i knew something was seriously seriously wrong and so i i don't have much of a memory because that's what these drugs do is that they kind of they never take a sleeping pill and send an email <laughs> Because when you look at what you've written in the morning, oh, sure. You'd <laughs> Top tip from the Matt Brown show. Do not take sleeping yeah. pills ever again and then yeah. send emails. Yeah. <laughs> so it was just um, – and then uh, – so I, I remember chunks of, of things. I remember chunks of, of, of information um, from that day. I remember seeing Richard coming through the roof of this marquee. I remember seeing all of these people around waiting to have this conversation. And I just remember just – everything kind of going black and I'm standing at the back of the room and it was, but something kicked in. It was almost like Caroline, you're hitting the deck. You've got to get regain control. Mm. So that was this whole control freak. Keep it, keep it together. Mm. What did you, I mean, looking back, I mean, what did you learn about yourself in that process? Um, and cause it's interesting, right? Because I mean, I, your breakdowns are always your breakthroughs. So what was your breakthrough? What did you learn about yourself and, coping mechanisms stay with us we'll be right back hey there i know being an entrepreneur can be a very lonely experience you sometimes get stuck don't you well if you're like me being stuck sucks but what if you could access the minds of over 850 ceos who have built companies generating billions of dollars in revenue and access all of that knowledge in a fraction of a second well the good news is you can literally do that today what my team have built is matt brown ai it is trained on all the interviews over 850 of them that i've done to date all my books all the knowledge capital that has been generated over the last 10 years right here on the matt brown show and you can get access to all of that right now for free. So how do you get access to this? Well, head on over to mapbrownshow.com and at the top, you'll see community. Hit that link, sign up. It's absolutely free and you'll be given instant access to Matt Brown AI and a community of over 100,000 subscribers. I think looking back on it now, I can look at that that the strength that we have as human beings to push through these things, but no capacity to really be able to see what's going on. And the thing is, when you're a leader too, nobody really gives you feedback um, unless you're kind of creating an environment where that can happen. I never get feedback from you guys, ever. <laughs> Boo, give more feedback, uh, yeah. hashtag. But then I realized, so then we may have a conversation about this, is that um, – that's because I wasn't really inviting it. I'm inviting feedback right now. <laughs> and it's also the ability to be able to take that feedback, even if it's really, really tough from your boss or the people around you to kind of go, Caroline, there's something that's not, that's not right. But because I was so set on, I was really in, I, I was not a, I wouldn't say a control freak, a control freak in terms of keeping myself together because I was so afraid to fail. 
um, I didn't create that vulnerability, I think, within myself to get the, to get the feedback. I always had the answer. I, I think I was always right. I think I was a, a little bit arrogant, not completely arrogant, but a little bit arrogant. So, um, I didn't know that really, that this was really, you know, that was really happening. I just thought, hey, you start to, I started to feel like this broken record. I'm not cutting it. I'm failing. How can I be? Who on earth? I think that was the big thing that went went through my head. You know that that night was who on earth would want to be led by me? Wow. So that was a big thing about my leadership capacity. You know, who who would really want to be led by me like this? And I think that's what I share with a lot of leaders today because I mean seventy seventy the stats show that seventy five percent of execs are hitting the wall. 70% of the population are medicating themselves for some kind of stress-related illness, mm. whether that is depression or sleeping or heart heart failure or whatever it is. There's mm. some – and only 30% of that is working. Mm. So I think what happens in that environment, I felt so bad about myself as, su- as, as such a failure mm. because how can I have failed in a role like this with a company like Virgin mm. – it was the, the it was the embarrassment I think for myself. How could I let myself could, down how, like this? And how could I let myself? Did, d- yeah. yeah, stuff like that. So it was it just kind of it was a self fulfilling prophecy because you know you've researched a lot into imposter sim- syndrome. It just confirms that you're you're useless. You're never going to cut it. You're not going to do this. Yet all the feedback that I got was completely the opposite. But when you're in that space, you can't see that. You yeah. can't see that. You can't see that yourself. Yeah. Um. So let's let's. I think for me, this is a great point of departure in terms of finding meaning because it's, I think, I think we all go through these different phases where we get sucked into a certain paradigm of thinking mm. based on the demands of our external environment. Um, and then we just operate in a certain MO, you know, like people living, working in corporate, people working in agencies, wherever you are working here, even this is, this is a particular kind of MO, right? And so what did you learn about finding one's meaning through? what you actually do because what you're doing now is obviously completely different. So there was a transformation that uh, clearly happened and I want to kind of explore what that transformation was for you and kind of what the principles were as a result of that. Um, so, so over to you, I mean, how did you transform as a result? I mean, obviously now you're speaking to leaders, you've written books about uh, consciousness and, um, and this kind of stuff. So let's get into it. So what was that transformation that you experienced? It's really gradual, and I think that's the, the 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 idea that we have in our head when we use a word like transformation is that we're going to push a button and that's it, out pops something completely new. So that puts pressure on as well. You know, when 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 you go into an organisation and you talk about transformation, automatically you get this resistance because I don't really want to. Ch- I love the idea of it, but we actually don't really want it because we're not wired for transformation. We're wired to keep things the same. So human beings are designed for homeostasis to keeping things reg- comfortable, and what we need today is discomfort. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the transformation process was a very gradual journey, and I think what I had, to, what I decided to do at this time was to make a very conscious decision. I can't. I, I had five job offers at the time. I had two board positions that were offered to me with competing travel management companies. I had a job offer in New York with Virgin, another one in Hong Kong, and another one in Shanghai. 
and I think another one back in London or Greece, so six. So my contract was coming to an end. And I think the big realization for me at that point was, so how can I go and do the same thing again when I'm like this? Because there's no authenticity in that. And I think, for, you know, to lead people, you first got to be able to lead yourself. So the big thing was, was Caroline, you've got to take a bit of a, a back step and become a nobody for a little while. Mm. And that's a big thing, you know, for, for where we've got so caught up in our identity and who we are. I didn't have a clue about who I was without that. So here was Caroline. She was, you know, on, uh, had Richard Branson's phone number on speed dial, flying around the world in first class. It's a great big house. It's a new car every six months. That's what the image that I presented to the world. But inside I felt broken. So I turned all these jobs down, much to the chagrin of certain people, because I didn't tell, I, I don't think people really knew where I was at, because I think, I think I, <coughs> excuse me, I hid it so well being a control freak, but people who are, were close to me knew that something kind of wasn't right. So um, I decided to take a bit of a, um, a, a back seat um, and I became, um, I actually started a consulting business um, at the time off the bat of, a, of, of an offer that I had. I was, um, I'd set up an organization in South Africa called ACT, the Association of Corporate Travel Execs, which is a global business, a global training body, basically, to get different facets of the industry to talk to each other. And from that, I got a job offer from De Beers to go and help them do some consulting around their travel management stuff. So the, what, what I thought, the, the only decision that I'm, that one of the real big decision factors in that decision was, you know what? I can go and get some sleep. <laughs> because all I, I didn't want to be in the office at eight o'clock in the morning. I may, I wanted to sleep in until, you know, until nine. I, I didn't want that pressure. So I knew. So for me, it was, here's a wonderful opportunity. It's not a full time thing. It's something that I can do kind of a little bit more at a leisurely pace from a consulting perspective. And I can just take a little bit of a back, a, a little bit of a back seat. So I think it's recognizing when you've got to, when, when you've got to pull back rather than think that you can keep going because when you keep going, that's when the, the, your burnout becomes disease and your cancers, your autoimmune conditions, your chronic fatigue starts. And then you perhaps have something that you're never going to recover from. So I'm glad that I, I got to that point where I went, I've got to change. But that deep burning emptiness wasn't something that could be fulfilled. And it reminded me of um, there's um, there's a a notion that I have that who you really are and the things that you're really passionate about surface when you're in childhood. And I remember a time when I was about 12, um, we just moved. I was a really gawky kid at school and I used to get bullied for having this shock of hair, a big nose before I got my nose fixed with a nose job and, um, and, 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 cr and a boss, an eye that kind of like used to wander around. And I was also way taller than anybody else. So I just used to get really bullied. And we just moved, um, my parents had just moved house, this lovely little, um, little village. And we had this wonderful house on a river with fields and horses and whatever. And I remember being, I was about 11 or 12 and I was dreading this idea of going back to school. And I, and I stood on the bridge that was overlooking the river next to the house. And I went, is this it? So you go to school, you get good grades and then you go to go university and you get better grades. Then you get a job and you get a house and you get a car 
and you get married and you have a couple of kids and you live in the next village to your grandparents so that they can look after the kids. You go on a couple of holidays a year and then you die. That is, is that the it? dream. Hey, aren't you guys pumped? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so get in there. That was the th- so that was that was me at twelve. You know, I was a weird kid. You know, because all my friends were out there, kind of thinking about boys and thing, and I was contemplating this. And so, who answers those questions? I didn't have anybody to answer those questions. So I just thought, I'm a bloody weird kid. Go get on with life. So this joining Virgin and Branson in the early days was just a fabulous adventure. So you know, because there is probably about ten or twenty percent of me that is a little bit hippie. It was a little bit hippie, you know, at the time. So I wasn't just this corporate chick. So, um, um, but all of that came back at the time that I hit the wall. So what's the point? What am I doing this for? And I th- mention it because I think it's, it's where we live today as human beings. We're in this crisis of meaning. So the issues that we have, I don't think, are psychological per se, that are existential. What am I doing here? What's the point? Where am I going? Is there a point to all of this? Now, I'm, I don't have all the answers for those things, but the journey of transformation for me was was to figure that out so from an intellectual point of view and from a, and a from a feeling point of view as well because we can mentally masturbate <laughs> say over all of these wonderful intellectual theories but at the end of the day we've got to be able to live it and how we show up as leaders I think really shows the degree of of um, integrity that we have with ourselves and I think that's what the authentic leadership is about um, well, this is interesting for me because uh, this podcast has completely transformed me. Um, I found the thing that did that thing, you know, and I've built a business also and what have you. So, uh, but I find a lot of people, they either don't believe that change is possible. And in that case, you will always wind up either breaking down or in the case of substance abuse, you don't believe that any other life other than the the the, the life of active addiction or sleeping pills to sleep or whatever the, the kind of your own dichotomy is. It's like you, if you don't believe that you can change, you're fucked. <laughs> you will only ever be on that train. And if that train doesn't serve you, well, then that's a world of pain and you're never going to find meaning in it because you don't find meaning. Finding meaning or purpose is actually possible for you, yeah. you know? Um, and so this, so that's the first thing. The second thing is, what is the what is the the cause that's going to or the spark that's going to ignite this new process of transformation in a way that's positive for you? You know what I'm saying. And so if, uh, the podcast was that spark for me. But what was it for you? I mean, you you're talking about you've just had this moment of breakdown. All these old memories of of like these big questions about life, like meaning, what is this all about, etc. Um, what was the spark for you that kind of ignited what you do today? Yeah. You know, Matt, there's not one, and I think there's 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 lots of them. Um, I think when you're in a place like that, it's just taking the next step. Because if you were to say to me at the time, Caroline, I'd be sitting here having this conversation with you about this after the last 15 years, um, there's been so many changes and so many little nuggets that have propelled the journey. Um, and I think that's the key thing is that it's understanding this is a journey and we put this pressure on us to ourselves to have answers. We've got it. We're here. Now I've got to be there, but I don't know where there is. So that's even more pressure. So for me, the step is, it's just take a step to do something. If that is, 
healing for you, whatever that healing journey is, take that step and work with where you are right now. So for me, I, I started uh, when I'm looking back on that now, because you can never really see when you're looking into the future. It's all a bit hazy and murky. You can really only really see when you're looking back on the journey. That life isn't this trajectory. It's not this straight line. It's like we're on this chase to achieve, to achieve, to achieve, because we think when we arrive, we'll be okay. And I'd pretty much arrived. You know, I was 35. I had everything and I was still not okay inside. Um, life is a series of chapters. That was my virgin chapter. Then I had the healing chapter because, you know, I'd, I'd really hit the wall and my body needed to heal. My mind needed to heal. Then I had the journey to unfold, well, what do I really want to do then? Um, and so a lot of us don't know. I always envied those people that could kind of, that shot straight out the birth canal and said, I want to be a doctor or a pilot or this. I didn't bloody know. I had we'll no clue. We'll just get the scope on. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we put that pressure on. And I think it's, you know, I was on a panel yesterday in Durban um, talking about culture and we and listening to some of the other speakers talking. You know, this notion that we go to university, we've got to come out with a degree and that's what we want is is past. It's, yeah, degrees are really, really important, but the world is moving too fast and things are becoming so integrated the real thing we should be hiring for is this capacity to change and to, 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 to adapt anymore. And, and so I think our, we've got to look at our journey as this learning journey, mm-hmm. not yeah. just a destination that we've got to get to mm. and, li- and a series of chapters. So this is your Matt Brown show chapter. Who knows where that will take you? What's well, a book? Yeah. <laughs> oh, the book. <laughs> That's yeah. what it is. Yeah. Um, the Matt Brown probably show. Book. Sure, probably quite a few. But, um, but the thing for me is interesting that you mentioned this not needing to know because uh, I got a mail from Alexis was uh, was aware of this also. But um, I got a mail from a guy who listens to the show and he's like, hey, man, you know, I've been listening to a show for about a year or a year, whatever. Um, he says, I'm really looking for mentorship and some guidance and like I'm not digging what I'm doing and I'm kind of looking for answers. Like, can I meet with you? I've met with a few mentors in quotes, air quotes, but um, I don't find their advice to be really valuable. You know, please help. So I was like, sweet, no worries. So come, come through to the, to the office and I'll meet with you. So I met with him, when was it, like two weeks ago? And, um, and so I won't mention his name, obviously, but, uh, but basically young, young guy, I think it was like 20, 26, 24, somewhere around there, mid-20s. Um, and he was looking, he's like, what should I do? You know, like, uh, I'm not digging this corporate space, but I'm, I'm kind of looking for that next step. Um, and so, and I saw a lot of myself in that when I was 26, you know, I was like, well, and I bought, I was living in Amsterdam at the time and I bought a house and I figured, Hey, that's, that was what I was meant to do, you know? Um, and so, but you're always kind of looking for those answers and, and actually you don't need to fucking know what the answers are because you're 26, go and live your life. You know what I mean? Like you don't, you don't really need to know. You maybe like because I, I hate the idea of giving your mind questions that can't answer, because then you must just, you know what I mean? Like, what's the meaning of life, or who am I? Like all these kind of things. They cut this kind of shit comes up on the show often. When you when you're my age and you're turning forty and you and you've got a wife and you know two German shepherds and two kids and like you've got a lot of meaning in that shit. Um, I would also say, like, if you want to find meaning, take on more responsibility. Work for yourself. Go freelancing. Quit your job, you know, and or work for a startup. Take more risk, you know. Put yourself in situations where you it, you can find the answers, you know. 
But if you don't have them, you, you can't create them for yourself. It's the, the experience to your point. It's like every day you're going to do something that scares you or every day you're going or every week you're going to go and have one conversation or one coffee with someone that you respect or that you admire. Do you know what I'm saying? And then through those individual experiences, they then amount to your own transformation because that's exactly what's happened with the show. And I was writing about this in my, in, this, in my book that's coming out later this year. I was talking about how for a long time, like I didn't believe in myself, you know, cause I've had like just such heavy failures exactly like you, but I took them really personal and we all deal with shit differently. And so, um, having conversations like this and then, you know, this, with this billionaire and then that multimillionaire and then this international wrestling author. And so what happens is, is that you become, you take on those principles and those values of the conversations that you have most. And like that saying about you are the sum total of the five people that you hang out most with is so fucking true. It's scary, you know, genuinely, because it's that perspective that you don't have, that they have. And, yep. and a conversation is the thing that gives it to you. Yeah. And I think that's the, I mean, this is why this show is a real blessing in a way, because you can have conversations and it creates a platform to have conversations, which is something we don't do today. We don't have a conversation about real stuff, about things that really matter to us, what concerns us the most. We talk, you know, above the line. We talk about what's acceptable. We look at, and, and, and I think more conversation is, is, is deep conversation is, is, is needed. Um, and it, and I think it's also learning to live in the question. And, and to sit there and to take it, not knowing. To take like, it, yeah. And, and I mean, when we say live in the question, it sounds all like, you know, woo-woo, bullshit kind of thing. But it is about, okay, what can I deal with? So if you think if the people are at different levels, a lot of people are hitting the wall. Um, so if you're at that space, what is it that I can do today that is going to, A, serve me as well as kind of keep me functioning? Because I think we've got to avoid these extremes. Um, when I hit the wall, I thought, oh, you know, I love scuba diving. I'm just going to go and become a scuba driver, a dive master and live in Mozambique. That's what I'm going to do. And okay, that's okay for a while, but you got to deal with the world and, and, you know, it, and life does it, it, you can't just go and run away. I think that's what so many people want to do. And I think we can do it for a little while, but it's about facing those things and realizing I don't have the answers and, Hanging around with great people who do have the answers is great, but then it can also, if you're not feeling great about yourself, kind of make you be, well, how come they've got the point and I don't get it? I think that's the key thing is we look at people who have been successful. Even, you know, I work with a lot of speakers who are doing incredible stuff and there is that tendency. We all, you know, we all doubt ourselves to a degree. You know, if we, if we don't doubt ourselves, then we're psychopathic. I think we all have that to, to, to doubt is to be human. Um, but it's not comparing yourself to other people. I think that's the key thing. So yeah. if you can learn, which clearly you have, by listening to what other people have done, but it's not emulating them. You know, so many people I speak to still today go, oh, Richard Branson's my hero. I want to be like Richard Branson. Nobody can be like Richard Branson. But you can have that adventurous mindset. I mean, I was, I'm the same. I have that adventurous kind of mindset. But the way it's folding, unfolding in my life is completely different. So I think that's one of the key things. Don't compare yourself to anybody. Um, learn from them, but recognize that this journey is unique. So it's about find taking our own steps, reconciling all the things that we've that, that we we can learn from other people, but recognizing this journey is really unique to us. 
um, and stop being so bloody hard on ourselves. You know, so if somebody said to me, love yourself, Caroline, I'd have told them where to get off a few years ago because I didn't love myself at all. Um, I knew I was doing some good shit in the world, but I didn't love myself. Um, I didn't even like myself very much. So, you know, when people talk about, you know, going into organizing, creating fun in your organization, I didn't know how to have fun outside of serious business. I was intense. But what I could learn to do was to live with a little bit more lightness. And I think that's what we need to do. Learn to live a little bit more lightly. And you know, one of the things, the big thing that I recognized in this journey is that the mind can trick you into so many things. You know, at the end of the day, trying to get a mental construct of where we want to be is actually really slow. I think of the conscious mind as a bit like the first IBM computer with its processing power. So to really get a felt sense and to feel whole, I think, or together, it means working with the nervous system. So that's why things like mindfulness, meditation, and these fringe kind of practices are starting to become mainstream in, in businesses. Yeah, I was going to say mindfulness is 100% mainstream. <laughs> yeah. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for a lot of people, it's still, you know, it's, it's, it's still not. Um, <laughs> well, like within, yeah, but you're always going to get that scenario. But yeah. I would say to that person, well, start because you like it's, it's, it just, you know, not sleeping. Okay. Were you meditate when you were not sleeping, taking sleeping pills? Were you ever meditating back then? You know, I tried every kind of thing that I possibly could transcendental really? meditation, hatha yoga, you know, you name it. I tried it. I had the list. I had a, I had a bookshelf of shelf help books, you know, those books that you read on a Sunday afternoon with your glass of wine when everything's really comfortable. And yes, it makes sense. And then you go back out in the world again and you find that you're doing exactly the same thing. So, you know, it's wonderful to read all these philosophies and philosophize over these things, but it's about, you know, and particularly today, how am I recovering? How, how could that, that, what I think of as the agility quotient, not to analyze all this emotional stuff because the emotions are really past things. When we do all this emotional analysis, it's trying to make sense of the past. So emotions are good indicators, but it's about how do we come resourceful to deal with this and to move into more resourceful spaces. So mindfulness is a great way to be able to do that, um, to, to bring presence um, to, to what we're doing. And I run a, um, a program um, that incorporates neuroscience, mindfulness and martial arts, go figure. Yes. That kind of helps the body to, so, so you start shortcutting, you shortcut the brain basically. Short oh, what I love it, short yeah. circuit, shortcut the stress response to help you respond more um, meaningfully under pressure. And this then, is awesome. And then, um, and <laughs> tell, then, tell us more. Yeah. So, How does I this mean, work? Well, it's more of an, yeah, I mean, it's something we'd have to do. Um, uh -huh. So that we'd have to engage the entire audience in this because it's about, it's about working with the nervous system and the body. So it's, you know, when we talk about body work, people think of these somatic practices, go for a massage, do all of this kind of thing. It's about understanding that there's a whole entity, a brain that is mm. working in here mm. that this is not going to work. Remember, this is only processing at 40 bits per second. Can you do it now? Um, is there anything you could do? Or is it more no, of a we'll structure do it. Thing? Yeah, no, we're, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a bit boring it, for the audience because, okay. yeah, so I think it's something that we could – maybe we can come back and do another one and, mm. and make it really practical and think about how we do that. Yeah, the but, Matt Brown Show is practical guide. Practical more guide, useful. yeah. 
resourcefulness. So if I was to look at, I mean, that's, I, I spent a lot of time training with an incredible lady called Wendy Palmer. Um, she is, um, she is something, she's about five foot two. She's built like this and she's a black belt in Aikido and she's 70 years old. What? And she throws these enormous men around the room like tissues. So it's about working with different aspects of ourselves. not this, we've got to get out of the brain being the kind, it's a, it's a computer chip, that's it. Mm. And it's actually a very slow computer chip at that. So the conscious mind is great to help us think and rationalize, but we have no way of using it. 95% of the time, we're operating from this nervous system, which is driving our behavior. And it's driving it from past responses, from frozen memories that are stuck in the nervous system. So mindfulness brings us into the present moment to give us that pause. But you've also got to rewire the nervous system. So um, in December, January, I spent a month in India doing a meditation instructor's training program, something that I've done for seven years. Um, and it's it's based on a heart-based meditation. And there's a whole load of neuroscientific reasons why the heart is important. But the key reason that we focus on the heart, and there's a whole load of other things that go around that, is that the heart is known as the biggest biological oscillator in the human body. Hmm. That means it's the heart. The heart sends more signals to the brain than the brain does to the heart. So the heart starts beating in the unborn fetus before the brain is even formed. Mm. The heart beats when you take it out of the body without being connected to a brain. What's that? You know, again, I'm not a neuroscientist, but when you start to look at some of this, it's quite fascinating. There was also, sorry to interrupt you, there was also um, a program I watched on Discovery about heart transplants. Oh, wow, yeah. So you have um, uh, someone that's, you know, whatever, died, and, um, and they need to transplant. Let's just say your heart comes into me. And um, and this is a proven thing documented in many scientific journals. But because I've got your heart in my body, uh, consciously, I have memories that aren't mine. How's that shit? Abs- absolutely. Like, like, legit, like visuals, yep. names, feelings, and things that yep. are not yours. Like, yep. you know what I mean? Like, that's... Absolutely. I mean, there's a story I think that I've heard which is totally supports that. So we're so on the same page there, which is um, heart transplant... I think it's, I'm exaggerating slightly, but the lady that received the heart or the young guy that received the heart was, was pretty much a vegetarian. And after the heart transplant, he started to like make Big Macs and motorcycles. And the guy (laughs) that he had received the heart from was a meat eating Big Mac eater and he had motorcycles. So where's that? You know, that's, I mean, but I love those, those philosophical debates, but it just shows us that, we don't know everything. We don't know everything. That's that's such an important point going back to our whole arc here, which is about transformation, because you don't know. And so like I don't like I it's um some I think Carmen Murray asked me on the last show of last year, she said, um, like, who are you? you know, sort of thing. And um, I was like, well, it's a, I'm a student of becoming because you, you just, you're always becoming something else. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's, yeah, I the, love that. Nice. there's yeah. the Caroline you are today, but tomorrow legitimately as a result of the show, you will change somewhat in some way. You know what I mean? Like it's just an inevitable thing, which again echoes what you said, which is around, you know, it's every day at a time. And that's what cumulatively adds up to your, uh, the extent to which you will transform. But it actually comes down to you and your ability to be curious about what that journey is. So, for instance, Love transcendental yes, meditation yeah. or this heart-based meditation or like, do you know what I mean? Like just 
as opposed to just taking a sleeping pill. Yeah. Because it's exactly. chemical and it knocks you yeah. the hell out. You know totally. What I'm saying? And I love that, Matt. I mean, you've worked, you, the word that you used there was curious. And I think that's something that we've got to learn to be. Instead of being addicted to answers, let's be curious about learning and knowing. Be curious um, about the questions because yes. questions govern your lives. Yes. I mean, even if you go into the business space, it's like, well, um, and I did this talk called The Big Red Button and it was all around my journey with the podcast and what have you. And, and you know, it was all around um, how do you prepare yourself for a future when there can be any possible number of futures? And the way that you do – and by the way, that's the same premise for you and for me and for everybody else here. You know what I'm saying? Like you just don't know. So how do you prepare yourself for any future and make the most out of whatever future you decide is right for you? Um, and so the answer is, well, ask better questions. So if you – like question, you, we don't really – understand the extent to which questions govern our lives if you want to build a really big business and i'm talking about like you know a thousand strong business in four five six countries whatever like the the, the difference is curiosity because you want to see how big it can get but then you get a different kind of business person or business owner who is just happy with having the best restaurant in new york you know what i'm saying the best burger joints or the best smashed burger uh, you know, um, what are those bloody things like? You know, when you buy them on the side of the road, you know those kind of things in, in America and stuff. But it's up to you. But again, it's when you the question. If you don't ask big enough questions, you're never going to get big enough answers. You know? Yeah, what I mean? absolutely. Yeah. And I think the the um the quality of our questions improves. But I think it is just starting to ask the question. Um, one of the things, I mean, my job is questions. So I do a lot of, um, working with leaders and executive coaching. So my job is to ask questions and it's that question that can stop you in your tracks. So, you know, what has you reacting in that way? Well, actually, I don't know, but taking that time to think and that pause is so critical to ask the question and can contemplate the question without, Hey, I need to have that answer. And I think that's how the mind works or, or or we work is put the question there and then create space for the answer to come alan reyes was on the show last week and he actually he does this with his so i mean okay so he runs uh africa's largest prosperator it's essentially an incubator he spent the last like 20 20 years working specifically with entrepreneurs and helping them scale so what he does is i asked him like when do you know to quit you know, whether it's your career or I, mean, I wasn't necessarily the career, but in the business, when do you, when do you quit your business? But this is the same, same, same process would apply to you in your career. If you're a CEO, when do I get out of this? And, um, and he said to me, where, when there's no more better answers than the questions that you ask. And I said, what do you mean by that? And he said, well, what, so for example, he said, what if, um, you worked from six in the evening till six in the morning and you were closed during the day? What if you had to run your business from a wheelchair? What would you change? You know, and, and I, like you only gave those two examples. But again, it's, it's interesting, right? Because I think, huh. So if we, if digital kung fu um, did what it did, but it was only open from six in the evening till six in the morning, which market would I serve? Now it's like, well, shit, okay, that's interesting. I would serve uh, America, China, uh, same, same client. Um, but, uh, but now I'm earning yen and I'm earning dollars and I'm earning euros. So now, oh, that's, that's interesting. Do you know what I mean? But it's the question that then gives you the space yeah. to say, well, how different could I make things? Yeah, exactly. And I think that, yeah, it's how different can I make things and how differently could I show up? 
because I think that's the that's that's, so that's the key thing, and particularly with 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 leaders. You know, we we are addicted to having these six point plans, five point plans, seven point plans. But you know what they're what we're realizing, and I do a lot of work with the concept of Theory U, which came out of MIT in Boston, um, and they're integrating a lot of aspects from um, spirituality into this whole thing, from Buddhist philosophies, yogic philosophies. And it talks about the fact that we're so busy downloading from the past that we've got to create that space for something else to kind of to, to, to emerge. And so many change efforts in business, because I know this is a business thing, are failing because the interior condition of the intervener, if you like, is not in that space to ask questions, to receive answers, to, to look at those things. But we've got it's so it for me, the big thing is create that space, create that pause because then you can start to really look at where we're going instead of just chasing and running and trying to find the next, you know, the next, the next best thing. It's the difference between reacting to what's going on in your business versus dictating. You know what I mean? And that's, yeah. it's cause and effect. Mm-hmm. So either you're at cause, which is the woe at me, I'm taking loads of sleeping pills and I'm going to burn, uh, sorry, at, at effect rather. If I'm at effect, it's like I'm not in control. I'm at the whims of my situation and the environment around me and my behaviors and my, and my values and what have you. So I'm going to take a bunch of sleeping pills and I'm going to burn the fuck out and that's me. I'm done. The other person says, well, actually, no, I'm going to be the victor or not the victim. And then I'm going to control the situation. And so actually what I'm going to do is I'm not going to do that. And you kind of, you were at cause. It's just, you know what I mean? Like for whatever yeah. reason you wind up where you wind up. But it's like, you're going to do yoga, you're going to do meditation. You're going to do whatever's necessary to manage that. And it's a, it's an everyday struggle. But to your point, like it's how you pitch up. It is yeah. literally how you pitch how, up every day. How are you showing up? Yeah. So like every day, like I, I take everything away. I say, okay, I don't have shit today. I don't have got nothing. I'm like a, I've literally put myself in a situation where I say to myself that I have nothing. Mm-hmm. I don't have a business. Like I have to rebuild it every single day. Cause if I don't, that's how I know, that's how I get my, and it doesn't like, that's my process, but it gets me into a state where I work at 10 times what uh, I'm just pitching up to run my business. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. And that just works for me. Yeah. Yeah. But then I think, you know, when you're running a business and you've got other people in the business, it's also allowing them to shine too. You know, because I, if I look back on something that I criticized myself for when I was in that high flying virgin role, it's all about, it was all about me. Um, I wasn't really concerned with taking people with me. So I was the one that was striding ahead. And then you turn around and you go, oh, where, where the bloody hell is everybody? You know, it's they're just not on the same wavelength as you. And I think that's a big thing for entrepreneurs. Because when you have a vision for your business, when you can see where you want it to go, like starting Virgin in South Africa, I knew where I wanted this to go. I knew where this was, um, where we could, where, where, what the potential was, because I'd had that experience. Other people haven't. So are we committed just to kind of doing this for ourselves or are we committed to taking others with us? And I think that's a big question for leadership. You know, are we just here to kind of like to, to earn the money, to look good, to stand out? Or are we here to kind of, to really do something which adds value to others? And I think entrepreneurs are gifted with that gift of insight. You look at somebody like Richard Branson, he's gifted with that capacity to see, to join dots and to, 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 to think differently. And it's about then how do you let the people kind of do the work? So it's, it's letting go of control. And I think that's a big thing when you, when you have your own business, when you're running a, I know running my business now, it's, you, it's, you want to be in control, but sometimes you've got to learn to, sta- to, 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 to stand back and let others 
kind of contribute because suddenly somewhere in there, you've got the most incredible idea that you wouldn't have thought about on your own. And I think that's where we, that's the key thing for leaders today. It's, it's, it's taking people with us. And so it is about being able to get feedback that's probably uncomfortable for us without reacting, without this fight, flight, freeze, responding and telling people that you're wrong. Because we all have our racket that goes on. You know, mine was very much about, yeah, being in control and wanting people to kind of think I was great and whatever. And we don't realize how deeply ingrained in the nervous system that is. So for me, fight, flight, freeze, I talk about this stress response becomes the need for control, the need for approval and the need for safety. And we keep bouncing back in these, in these, in, in these different areas. So control is about, I, you know, I want everything to be kind of like, it's okay, my way, it's got to go my way because that's where I feel, that's where I'll feel good. Approval is about, mm, I don't want to rock the boat because I want you to like me, but I don't want you to like me too much, but you know, I want you to like me. And safety is, I'm not going to do too much because, you know, again, I don't want to rock the boat. It's just kind of comfortable here. And our nervous system is wired 95% of the time around those three things, control, approval, and safety. So stepping out of that is stepping, is opening up this kind of like this new world, this question and the capacity to kind of like to think bigger and to see the bigger picture, which includes who we've got with us as well. Yeah, I love that. Um, I actually think that you have very little uh, free will in the sense of that those three dynamics, you don't think about that shit. You just, every day, you're a control freak. You're or that- every day, you're a crowd pleaser. You know what yep, I mean? Exactly. Yeah. That's just, and you go, oh, that's who I am. That's mm. what, you, like, going back to your point around identity, it's the most mm. powerful force in the human condition, right? Uh, we feel that we're just like that. Mm. We're just like that, man. You know, mm. I'm a control freak. It's my way or the highway, whatever. Yeah. And that's just how I've always been. I'm, I yeah. don't have the capacity to change. I don't feel like there is a better alternative. Absolutely, yeah. But again, it goes back to that, but you don't, you're not aware of it. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, totally, and, and yeah. That's what I mean. You, you're just on autopilot for a very long time until something, which I, I, I subscribe to this idea of, of moments. So you have many days in your life, but you don't have many moments. You maybe have a handful, the day you're born, the day you die, the day you get married, the day you have kids, the day you make your first million, the day you sell your business. You don't really have many moments. Mm, yeah, okay. So when you're aware, like I'm, I'm having a moment, yeah, I, I just, uh, uh, this is a bad example, but like, uh, like um, we're going to open office in America. Yeah. And the day that you step off the plane and you, and you land your first American client and you're like, fuck yes, you know, this is a real thing for me. You know, now I'm building a scale thing. Like that for me is a moment, but for everybody it's different. Point being is that on in on the whole, most people are not aware of asking those questions. So if you're saying it's control and so forth and um, p- pleasing people and so forth, it's like you just people don't take the time to actually reflect and say, well, you know that interaction I had with this person, I could have handled it differently. Mm. They just go, fuck, that sucks, you know, and then yeah. they forget about it and they don't actually reflect on it and then make a choice yeah. to consciously improve. But it's a, you know what I mean? It's, it goes back to that cause and effect thing. It doesn't take much. It just takes one awareness and then the capacity to do something different. Yeah. And that's the key thing. Cause most of the time, so much of our stuff is beyond, is below awareness. You know, so, um, in a lot of the coaching that I do, um, and the workshops that I run um, in conferences and things is to take a look at what I call the, our default states. Um, so we talk about emotional intelligence. For me, emotions are kind of the waves on the surface of the ocean. The default state is so ingrained because it's something that we've learned. 
in childhood and our entire conditioning is that. And so that control, for example, can often come out of a mood of, 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 of resentment. I've got to be right. I've got a bit, you know, and it's, I know, and everybody else has got a, has, has, has got a kind of curtail to that. So it just becomes a way of operating as, the, as does anxiety. So when you think back to our parents and how our parents operated, the kind of way that we operate in the world is pretty much the same as them, but it's incredibly subtle and we don't recognize it. So it's just noticing when, and, and it's interesting with this exercise. Um, that we could potentially do in another show, it shows up in the body. So we simulate, um, we simulate stress through, um, interaction like we would do in Aikido, for example, and it shows up your, 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 your pattern, how you do this. Are you doing martial arts? Um, I've been a Tai Chi fan a lot of my life. Really? So I've done Tai Chi, but this principle comes from, from Aikido, which is a non-violent form of, uh, more form, form of martial art. Um, and it works on the fact in Aikido that you're, you're under attack a lot of the times, a lot of things coming at you at once. And if you're to focus on those things consciously, you would be flying all over the place. So it's about, um, taking your consciousness away from the physical thing and expanding that your capacity to see a bigger picture. And it's a skill. So you're training the nervous system to do something completely different. So, um, I don't know if you read the book Stealing Fire. No. Stealing Fire, great book by, um, Stephen Kotler and Jamie Wheel talks about how all the, how all the CEOs in Silicon Valley are doing things like microdosing with LSD, going to Burning Man and exploring mindfulness and meditation as a way to do this, to kick themselves out of this response. And then when you take it deeper and you understand that the, this mood has a pattern, it's not just the way I respond. There's a language that goes with it. There's a physiology that goes with it. So this system that we are again is embodying that all the time. So yeah. it's unpacking those little things, if you like, to for, again, so that how we show up. Because the only thing that we have, I think, as leaders today is our influence. Mm-hmm. And if we're influencing from a mood of I've got to be in control and I'm always right, we get kind of, you know, what we see going on in the States. And Yeah, exactly. I mean, that uh, microdosing thing was a real thing. Um, and then for you, do you want to try to say, uh, fuck, no. <laughs> do you want to share your LSD yeah. stories? No, 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 <laughs> but cannabis oil in the morning, you know, <laughs> go and do it, people. Um, but no, so on a serious note, though, um, I forget the guy's name now for some stupid reason, but one of the co founders of Twitter was actually in Cape Town, um, towards the end of last year, it was in the news. And uh, he was doing, uh, you know, those 10 day silent retreats where mm. you basically all you do all day, every day is meditate from like six in the morning until nine at night and mm. then you sleep, but you don't speak, you don't say a word to anyone. Mm. Um, and I saw it and I was like, huh, that's interesting. Like, you know, but this is the reason, right? Which is to say, you know, you're trying to find perspective. You know what I mean? So think about it. If you're, if you're, imagine, can you just imagine Mark Zuckerberg with all the shit that's going on with Facebook? What a day like for him looks like and Cheryl and the data. I mean, I was reading yesterday on TechCrunch. It was another stink about how they, um, how they broke Apple iStore's, uh, app rules by essentially paying, um, youngsters for their data. So they would record phone calls. They would literally do everything. Like it literally, they owned every single piece of possible information about that million, young millennial because they, 
are trying to react to this. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It's just a fuck up. It, there's so much bad news with, uh, with Facebook. But can you imagine? Do you know what I'm saying? Like the pressure of that thing. Huge. Absolutely like huge. Just, yeah. You can't. So these sorts of things where, I mean, I don't know if, I don't think Mark would take 10 days off ever. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, to do that thing to whatever it is to find yeah. that perspective, microdose or whatever. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. And I think so. And I think that's the thing is that, you know, so many of these meditation practices require that you go and sit in silence for like 60 days, 10 days, whatever. And I think, um, that f- for me, if you'd have talked to me about meditation, I'd have just said to you, forget it. It's for vegetarians who live in yurts and say namaste. And I was really not interested in it. That was my perspective about meditation. But for me, it, it's, you know, what I've learned, um, in the last seven years since I've been practicing this heart based meditation is that it is the only thing that is going to rewire you. An app isn't going to do it because, you know, if you're Mark Zuckerberg, you can't go, hold on, I need you to tune in to my app. I need, you know, you can't rely on external stuff. It's about shifting states in the moment to be able to, to be able to do that. And what I found with this meditation that I'm practicing, it's called, um, heartfulness. I talked about the neuroscience around the heart, but in the very first sitting, you can achieve the same brainwave states that somebody who's been meditating for 30 years. Wow. Immense. So what that does is it calms down the parasympathetic nervous system, which is, you know, the relaxation response kicks you out of that sympathetic nervous system response, which is fight, flight, freeze. So gradually your system starts to develop a level of, 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 of calmness so that you can have perspective, so that you can have clarity, so that you can have a different way of looking at things. But What's brilliant about this is we think meditation is just, oh, we sit there and just like this. You don't want to be in that meditative state. Eventually, what happens when you start working with it enough, you're operating every day with those deep delta brainwave states, which we get in deep sleep, which is something like naught to four hertz or whatever it is. But your awareness is like up at a gamma level. And what they call 360 degree awareness. In yoga, they call it the Turiya state. So... It's kind of a bit of an oxymoron going deep to kind of to, to to get better. So you're switching off one part of the nervous system, switching on something else, but our capacity to increase consciousness goes to a completely different level. And I think that's where we're going in the world now. Because if we want new ideas, we're just regurgitating more of the same stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's how do we switch into something completely different? And that's what these guys have have, mm. have hooked into. Yeah, Tanya Kunza was telling me the other day, she was on my show about three weeks ago, she's a neuroscience sales guru, um, and she was talking about transcendental meditation, meditation with me after the show, and she was talking to me about all these different like case studies where, where, where meditation is actually proven to rewire your brain. Totally. It's crazy. Yeah. You know it's, I mean? it's the only thing yeah. that rewires the brain and the nervous Consciously. system. Consciously. Consciously, uh, yeah, yeah. By the way, <laughs> so you don't, yeah, so you don't react, but suddenly you get insights into different things, and you kind of go, "Where did that come from?" Mm, you know, so it's awesome. just so. So I think that's the the key. It is the key. This is also the key. It's called quote of the day. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this is your quote. Um, what is? Uh, walk us through this, and uh, let's have a chat about okay, it. Okay, when you don't know where you're going or who you are, it's a great place to be because that's the start of the real journey. Cool. I don't know who you are or where you're going or who you are or who you are. It's a great place to be because yeah. it's the start of the real journey. Yeah. It's that uncertainty and not knowing, right? Yeah, the uncertainty and not knowing. So I suppose it goes back to um, I'm speaking to a lot of the people who are probably listening to this who, you know, who've, who've, who are hitting the wall and they're feeling 
I'm not feel good about myself, you know, I'm f- and or or even worse. Um my experience is that that's actually a really great place to be because then you're not you don't have all the answers and then you can really kind of create that space to open up to something else and and different things that want to come through. So let's wrap this up just a couple more questions. What what motivates you to talk about this kind of stuff? And, and this show is obviously sponsored by Unique Speaker Bureau, you're very involved in the leadership space. Uh, walk us through what motivates you in a specific space. You know, I think what we lack a lot of in a lot of uh, speakers today is authenticity. Uh, so speakers will talk about wonderful things that they've researched and whatever, but they haven't really necessarily walked the journey. And so I think that's really what I do. So I started speaking, professional speaking, talking with a with my talk, which is called Stand Out, Don't Burn Out. Um, and it talks about this journey so people can really relate to that. And I get so many people that come up after the talk and say, thanks for sharing that because this is where I'm at. And so you don't feel so alone and so stupid because not really very many people talk about it. Um, and I also have another talk, which I've called Finding My Virginity, which is the title of Richard Branson's book, um, <laughs> which is a, which is a, a leadership talk. Um, and it's really about, I learned some incredible lessons about turning business into adventure. You know, how do we continually work on the go in a startup? Because we're trying to build those startup cultures in our organizations now, right? To get, you know, fast paced. So how do we as leaders, how would I as a leader do that differently? So it's taking what I learned from working in a, with, with, with Richard, with the, with the Virgin group. And how would I do that differently? And it's great for women because they, you know, for, for women, it's, it's hard in a male dominated world. We feel that we've got to force our way through things, which goes against our natural tendency to a certain degree. So how do we show up without, again, hitting, without hitting the wall and doing that in a, in an elegant way? I think that's the thing. It's how do we become more elegant about what it is that we're doing these days rather than just forcing our way through? If there was one piece of advice you'd want to give to someone who's unhappy with, you know, so you know what that interesting uh, scenario is: an entrepreneur starts a business and winds up hating it. Mm. So the what, business. What piece is, of advice would I give? Yeah. So start something new. Yeah, start something new. Just get out of it. Start something new. You know, it's, it's like, who's keeping you prisoner? You know, whose permission do you need to kind of go? I don't like that and move on. I mean, I look at, again, looking at Richard Branson. So many things he started didn't work. Virgin Cola was one of them. You know, it was a big, massive failure. Virgin Bride didn't work. So many things that I did when I left didn't work, but they were great learning things. So I think that's the thing is, is don't lose sight of the fact that this is a learn, this is a journey. It's not a destination. And these are just chapters in your, in your life. Yeah. My burnout chapter, my experimental chapter, my speaking chapter, who knows what the next, you know, what the next one will, will be. So, we're always learning. We're always growing. There's nothing that's that's wasted. If you don't like it, leave it. Move on to move on to some move on to something else. But just be sure you're not running away. I think that's the key. If you're running away from it, then you, that's when it's really understanding yourself and the help of mentors around you, like you've talked about some of the people that you've met, um, and great conversation that can really question your thinking because you might actually fall in love with it again. That's the thing. Yeah. Why do you do what you do? What gets you out of bed in the morning? You know, I used to say because I wanted to change the world. Um, I wanted to do this because I wanted to change the world. For me, I just love the journey for me, for me. It's a continually pushing me out of my, my comfort zone. Um, continually putting me in different spaces that I probably wouldn't have been in, that I wouldn't have been in before. So it's a wonderful learning journey, um, for me. And I think, 
also it's a great I, I like to try and lead by example and and I think people get what when you get feedback it's a wonderful way for people to be able for, to to feel like actually I've made a bit of a difference in the world so you know again you know are we just here to tick that box collect our salary and, and and off we go or are we here to kind of make a difference but don't make that your big thing you know we can't change the world unless we can change ourselves and unless we can we we can live that so so i think that's really what gets me going continual work in progress that's how i see myself always in work in progress caroline thanks for being on the matt brown show it's been a privilege i've loved talking to you matt brown <laughs> and uh, ask better question guys see ask you again better soon question. see you ciao bye this edition of the Map Round Show is brought to you by networkspace.co.za. In fact, our studios are here in building number four at Network Space up in Johannesburg. These guys have made us a huge deal, have really bent over backwards to give us the kind of service that most exciting businesses deserve. If you want more information about Network Space, you can actually come and check out our studio. We are always open to meet new entrepreneurs and business owners from around the country, and you can do that right here at networkspace.coza. Thanks for checking out the Map Round Show, guys. And if you'd like to get the Kung Fu put in your ninja, check out digitalkungfu.co.za. Ever wanted to become a best-selling author? Well, I'm in the influence business and I work with business owners and CEOs and business leaders to help them scale their influence. And we do this as a team by helping you to become a best-selling author, sought-after speaker and industry influencer in only 30 days. My team and I have developed a system that delivers a best-selling book and a launch campaign 300% faster and 50% less cost than anyone else in North America. This system is incredibly efficient. One of my clients Haiku went from a 2% share of voice globally to an 11% share of voice globally in only seven days. If you'd like more information, head on over to showworksmedia.com for more. That is showworks with an X.com.